Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Canadian Politics is Boring! Welcome to another terribly exciting episode of Canadian Politics is Boring. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for sticking us in your ear holes just the way you like it. Uh, I, my name is Jesse. With me, as always, is Reese. Say hello, Reese. Hello. <laughs> and today we've got a very special guest, um, Greg, from the YouTube, very, very popular YouTube show, How to Drink, uh, one of my favorite channels. Uh, Greg, all the way from, from New Jersey. Uh, if you want people, we can delete that if you don't want people to know where you are. <laughs> no, it's fine. They can know where I'm from. I'm proud of it. I'm, yeah. I, it's a big place. You, thank you for that introduction. I am proud to be from New Jersey. We lead the country in super fun sites. That's toxic waste dumps for those of you who are outside of the U.S. You may no. know that term. What, what is it called? Yet? We call them super fund sites because back in the 70s, they created a super fund to pay for cleaning them all up. Nice. And, uh, but it's a, it's a misnomer. People love, from around the U S like to claim, Oh, New Jersey's got the most like, yeah, because we didn't lie about it. We went, we went after the money. <laughs> so when I heard you say super, like, so it's super fund with a D, but it, I heard you say super fun. They like, are super. I thought, fun. I thought you said fun. super fun. Yeah. yeah. You can go there and roll around, get special powers and stuff. It's great. <laughs> you so, just find an animal you want the powers of hold it yes. close to your chest and roll on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Dupont, so perfect. Um, is not liable for the, uh, for the after effects. <laughs> uh, before we before we dive into uh, 
to today's mystery episode with with Reese. Uh, Greg, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your your show? Certainly. Thank you so much for the intro, man. That was a very generous intro. I, you said that uh, hugely popular. I'm not. Uh, I, I'll I take your. That. I take your word for it. I take your word for it. It's YouTube is you know you swim with whales. Um, That's but, true. Uh, <laughs> um, no, thank you so much. I have this show called How to Drink, uh, where I've been making cocktails on YouTube for about five years now. Um, a lot of stuff from pop culture and video games and movies, and also just a lot of baseline classics, uh, a lot of history from mixo- of mixology, um, you know, nothing better and more fun than having to give your bio uh, on the spot. It's my favorite part <laughs> of my life. Um, <laughs> Alivea pitch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. you, you have a really cool set. Everything looks amazing and really classy on, on your site. And um, it's really, yeah, it's re- you're really engaging as well. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I'll tell you, the thing that I wanted it to be, when I started it off, cause I had a little bit of background in tabletop commercial production. I was like, well, what, what if we made it very, cause there was some stuff online that was very pretty, but took itself very seriously. And then there was some stuff that didn't take itself very seriously, but they had no production values. And I was like, well, what right. if we made it very pretty, but didn't take it very seriously at all. And that was kind of the kind of nexus point of well, I think uh, it works. Yeah, it yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's, that's kind of how we do our show. We're, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> we just, just two idiots with microphones is yeah, great. And we talk about <laughs> a topic that is inherently boring. So <laughs> yours is the opposite. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Uh, Reese, what do you got for us today? Uh, so, um, well, we, we're over the border in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Greg, you're over the border in, in the USA. And uh, since since you're kind of a, an expert in in alcohol and drinks, oh um, this ep- <laughs> this episode is called uh, King Canada and the Prohibition Startups, and it's all about the uh, the cross border trade of illicit alcohol during Prohibition. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. One Do you know favorite. much? Do any I of know, you know much about it? I don't, I'm no boy. <laughs> I, I really feel like I, as I frantically Google, I should know more than I do. Um, I, you know, I mean, what do I, let me tell you what I know. I know that uh, certainly a lot of illicit alcohol entered the U.S. from Canada, that uh, oh. prohibition is credited with, I'm, I'm blowing up your show right now. We'll cut this out. Don't, I didn't don't, don't find it on Wikipedia because yeah, that's no, what no. I'm drawing from. Uh, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> As I say, uh, Prohibition is credited with uh, the popularity of Canadian whiskey in the U.S. throughout much of the 20th century uh, because it's the where we were getting the whiskey from. Oh, cool. um, I but I don't know how true that is. You know, with all of that, there's so much mythology and mythologizing, which is a word that is tough for me to wrap my mouth around, uh, around Prohibition and mixology and cocktails in general that it is – it's tough sometimes to know what you don't know. Um like one of the common myths I've always heard or that you'll hear a lot is that, well, cocktails, those, those were come from prohibition because we couldn't get good hooch. And so people had to mix them up to, to make them palatable, but that's, that's absolutely not true. Like the really? golden age, oh. yeah, no, the golden age of cocktails is the 1860s. That's when uh, Jerry Thomas and uh, his fellow luminaries were, I mean, the celebrities of their age, people would come from miles around. I was like, a th- when you went to New York, a stop at the Jerry Thomas bar, the exchange was like on the list. It was in the travel guide. You got to see this guy make drinks. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's what, you know, 70 years, 60 years before I can't add, um, 
So <laughs> as evidenced by my questions about the scheduling of this event. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Go why, for are it, they yeah, called, right. why are they called cocktails? Yeah, that's a, uh, the, the etymology there is hotly debated in uh, the drier mixology circles. So one story I've heard is that it actually comes from um, possibly, I want to say Irish, but, or English and, each of those groups of people are offended at me now for saying it could be one or the other, but um, uh, a, an expression of, uh, that had to do with selling horses. And this what? is going to get a little bit graphic. I know. Oh, uh, where, oh graphic. That's, that's all what our show is all about. Yes. So horrifying graphic one thing about a cocktail is that not all mixed drinks are cocktails. Like sp- traditionally speaking, a cocktail is a combination of spirit, um, water, uh, sweetness, you know, sugar, and some kind of uh, bitters. A bittering agent is really important there. Uh, okay. They're considered medicinal tonics to have at breakfast to start what? your day up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what I always say. That's what I tell my kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and it I was would explain to, your kids a lot. <laughs> and, and so they were they were eye openers. They were they were they were kind of corpse survivors. And so there is this theory that comes that it comes from an expression or practice of jamming um, some freshly shaved ginger up the ass of a horse you were selling to make it hold its tail up. So it looked like a young spry horse that wasn't oh on death's God. door to wow. cock its tail. Uh, so there is what? some people who say that I don't, I've also heard a lot of people say, no, there's, there's no possibility that that's true. <laughs> I, so, I have to try that with my dog. He's a bit tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, wow. Oh my God. That is <laughs> My favorite etymology, and also the only one that I can remember at the moment. So we're going to go with that one. I, I think that's a that's a good one. Let's go with that one. That's history yep. now. Yeah, I'm going to Let's shove th- some ginger up my ass tomorrow morning. Wake myself up. That's going to be go for a jog. Great. Yeah, go for a jog. <laughs> um, you know, guys, you might there. There are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a place. There are places where that is a common practice. Um, <laughs> No places I've ever been, but I have awareness. I'm just letting you know that you may be attracting an unusual fan base if you go down this route on your show. Um, right. Well, that's, yeah. Well. Well, let, let, maybe it'll come up. I, it won't. But um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know what I did in some episode of How to Drink, but I probably a solid. 18% of how to drink fans on Twitter, at least are furries. I don't mind it. I just, I don't serious? know why they like my show so much. I don't know Seriously? what I did. I'm That's not so exaggerating strange. at all. I, 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 must I, be, mean, I, no, I mean, fund- I, fundamentally it must be hard to drink in one of those suits as well. I, Yes, I, I asked it. about this, and they said, "Well, because we love drinking." <laughs> and I was like, what a simple ask a stupid question. I mean, right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Furries, that's amazing. Yeah, maybe eighteen percent of all the population are furries. Anyway, maybe it's just shit. A, yeah, a perfect, it's just a, a perfect, perfect cross section. Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had an I had an older podcast that didn't have a lot of uh, listeners, but suddenly out of nowhere. Like 80% of my listener base, an extra 200 people um, okay. per month came out of nowhere. And I looked at the statistics I'm like, oh, they're all from France for no <laughs> reason whatsoever. I had like an extra 200 listeners in France out of nowhere for months. The Jerry Lewis phenomenon. Yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> it was very strange. That's really weird. That's so uh, Reese, before we go off on incredible tangents, as we tend to do, uh, why don't you educate us? Uh, or educate okay. me. Greg probably knows all about this, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so all right. In in 1920, 
the 18th Amendment was passed uh, by the United States Congress, uh, where they kind of caved into all the temperance groups who believed that the banning of alcohol sales and distribution um, would stop people from spending all their money drinking, wasting their lives, and um, help them focus on on the better things in life, like being sober, apparently. Right. So, um, <laughs> so th- this happened, and it became a federal offense to be involved in any kind of alcohol production or sales or anything at all. So Canada saw an amazing opportunity because they were still getting, getting hammered. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it meant that... When prohibition came to the United States, Canadians uh, had dollar signs in their eyes in like a cartoon style where they spun <laughs> around, um, and right. and uh, it became it became a uh, a real opportunity. Um, so so essentially, smugglers would like kind of load boats with booze and they'd uh, sneak across the Great Lakes, uh, the yeah. St. Lawrence River, under cover of darkness, and then oh, like. Also, other rum runners would travel to Boston from like eastern parts of Canada or Seattle from western Canada. Uh, and a lot of the speakeasies and like secret bars that were springing up all over the USA were directly supplied by uh, illicitly kind of uh, smuggled uh, Canadian booze. Wow. So I, I, like the, I like the thought, the imagery of them loading like a boat full of booze and going across the Great Lake in the cover of darkness. Like that's... It's very stealthy. I don't know. It's there's some kind of Ocean's Eleven aspect to that. Oh yeah, like 1800s Ocean's Eleven style. This is 1900s. Yeah, yeah, this story. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. I know. I know there was a lot of movement across the the Great Lakes. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there was in other places. I mean, we have a very large border, um, so I'm sure there was plenty of crossing elsewhere and at a the other coast i i specifically to the great lakes and i have no citation for this i just recall hearing or reading somewhere that some gangster and i forget which had set up kind of like um an underwater um maybe it was at a river or something like that like an underwater pulley system with like a carriage that they could you know what like yes pull, yeah, yeah pull the stuff under the water by what? rope and then the when it would freeze over they just had like these two holes at each end and like the booze would go in one hole and out the other hole you're uh-huh. you're referring to the detroit the windsor detroit funnel there it is which is an underwater <clears throat> delivery system using submerged cables and mechanical pulleys what? that could move 50 gallon drums of booze from windsor ontario to detroit i didn't realize what? drums i yeah, thought yeah, wow yeah. that's wild i thought it was so, just like crates of like bottles Oh, so it's like a, re- a really sophisticated, like, system. <laughs> like, it takes a lot of engineering. A pulley system? So you, there'd be some poor schmuck hauling on a rope for, like, 10 hours. Or maybe horses <laughs> going around in a circle. Or oh, they, had, they, had, they, had, with, they had motors with ginger up their ass. So. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been motorized. It could have been, it it been motorized. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was in <clears> the 20s. They had <laughs> right, yeah, that's steam. So we have a town just on the other side of Windsor, just in case you're unfamiliar. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's called Detroit. It's a pretty big city. Uh, (laughs) And um, and and real twist here, by the way, it's north of Windsor. What we didn't know about American ah, that's weird geography. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a short river. It's not a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. it's amazing. I, is, I, I think the thing was is that because you know, like they like in in this kind of like system of supply and demand, like yep. a lot of Canadians and Americans saw there was a serious demand and a lack of supply, 
and it was kind of like they they were the kind of tech startups of their age, I guess. They were oh, absolutely just thinking outside the box to see how they could feed their demands. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so f- like farming and fishing wages were like thirty five dollars a month at the time, and in in that kind of border area, you could you could easily earn um, four hundred dollars a month from if you were a captain of a of a ship that was smuggling, uh, because the 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 booze sold from their cargoes uh would would be two hundred thousand dollars or more per 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 kind of um oh cargo God. that was taken yeah. across. Oh my which God. is crazy. And you're not even breaking laws in your own country. Like what are right. they doing? No. It's, it's not even it's not that serious either. It's not like we're gonna keep you against their tradition. They're like, all right, go back home. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But then, but then also like the customs the Canadian Customs and Excise Department was um, being pressurized by the US government, but they were really small. You know, they'd never sure. they they were like there was no the border wasn't really much of an issue until this point. Right. And also they were more than welcome to take bribes and were seriously <laughs> corrupt. Oh, of course. And by both sides of the border as well, I think. Are, are you familiar with, um, and this might be more specific to the US uh, experience, but are you familiar with the 12 and three mile limits? No. No. So when they first put the Volstead Act together, it was extended in a three mile limit around the contiguous US. So The, that, what, you know, the what act, sorry? Uh, the, the law that made prohibition law, the Volstead oh, Act. The Volstead um, Act. So you had a three-mile circle around the United States uh, beyond which prohibition didn't exist. Um, if you ever stood on the beach, you can see like six or seven miles. So you could yeah, yeah. be outside of the you know where it was illegal. So all of these ships, these permanent floating ships would just set up anchor, these gambling houses. <sighs> just three miles out with high speed skiffs <laughs> and they'd have big neon signs that say, come drink and gamble on the gambling boat. And they would f- run high speed skiffs up to the boat, to the beach to bring customers out. That's you know? amazing. You could go out for uh, take a to go cocktail, buy it at three miles out and, and enjoy it back on the beach. When you get back home, then they moved it out <laughs> to 12 miles. Uh, naturally there was a three mile limit cocktail and also a 12 mile limit cocktail. The 12 mile limit is the better drink. The three mile limit is not much loved cocktail. Um, <laughs> But uh, they moved out to 12 miles, which, you know, it was less visible, but th- everybody was still doing this. So I'm, I'm assuming also that a big portion of, and I do know this, is that there would just be like floating warehouses of alcohol sitting just <laughs> offshore, just uh, to be ferried in at the moment's notice. You know, they were just out there all the time. And then when you know, Al Capone needed, or not Al Capone, because he had his own supply system, but like when right. somebody needed, uh, we need another couple hundred crates or whatever. Okay, just run a boat in tonight. <laughs> There's no moon. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, it was extremely porous. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. It's, that is it's like it's a kind of it's like a like a like a boozy nineteen twenties water world. <laughs> There's a lot of um, we talk about water world a lot on this show recently. It's a good why. film. Yeah, it's it's underrated film. It's time. It was ahead of its time, and it's time to come. You know, someday. <laughs> so well, uh, uh, that was the thing. Like, I think boats became a big part of this. So they were like fit. They were fitting like fake chambers and false bottoms on there and then they were just getting inventive as well so they were hiding booze in like bibles and children's toys and in like vegetables <laughs> and things as well and also on, on top of on top of that kind of uh, funnel system that we were talking about by the way also, i just love that it's called the funnel i'm just imagining some broke, some broke nose mobs just yeah go down that funnel <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> send another couple barrels down the drain what drain the funnel <laughs> You know, <laughs> and also we we had boat houses either side of the river. They would have secret tunnels as oh, well sure, built yeah. underneath as well. Um, and they, they do were these also, tunnels still exist? I'm sure there's probably some. I wouldn't go in them. 
Um, I don't think they've been maintained, but right. <laughs> I'm actually probably a lot of them have been to be honest. Yeah, maybe they are. <laughs> There's a, a of- huge network of tunnels underneath Boston that's held over from the revolutionary war. And it got oh, really? a lot of use both during, um, uh, fugitive slave, you know, during the, the, what do you call the, Oh, the underground railroad. Thank you. Yes. During slavery uh, as a way to hide slaves running from, from the South. And also got a lot of use again during prohibition. Right. Every, like every few decades, Boston's like, all right, time to dust off the tunnels, you know, to find a new use here for these guys. <laughs> was, it, was it your Boston Actually, accent? No, it was a terrible Boston. It was, it was Boston <laughs> by way of the Upper East Side. I don't have a Boston accent. <laughs> I think uh, I, well, maybe they're just like, it's like lots of legal Canadian weed is coming through, but I mean it's legal in lots of states. In we America just legalized now, so. it in the US, in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you did? yeah exactly. Oh, wow. Do you know my my hair absolutely stinks? I've been doing a location scout for a shoot I'm doing in a a cannabis factory nearby, and I was there for an hour and a half, and <laughs> my clothes absolutely stink. I was in the flower room <laughs> taking some photos and making notes ready for the shoot, and my whole body just smells of it. It's crazy. Oh my god. I, like you shouldn't anyway. have told your wife where you were going. Should have just. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a good day? Like. <laughs> that's, that's right. Anyway, I was um, not aware that your day job was with High Times. I had no idea. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, seventy-five uh, percent of all the illegal liquor brought into the United States was from the Detroit River, from Canada. Wow, um, it's like all of it. Seventy-five percent is a lot. That's a lot. And and a lot of Americans would cross over the border for a good time. For um, sure. And they go, so you'd have a lot of roadhouses. There was a, mm-hmm. a place called the Island View Hotel, just off the Detroit River with his own mm-hmm. dock. Um, and yeah, it was, it, 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 the, the thing, it, it got quite interesting in the winter as well when the river froze. They used to drive these light cars that were six-cylinder engines. Um, they had six-cylinder engines called Wixie, Whiskey Sixes, and they would just drive, <laughs> drive them across the ice full of booze to Damn. deliver them at night. Um, and then they started using airplanes as well. For sure. Um, and <laughs> and also railways. They were t- using railways to take 800 cases of beer every day, apparently. Um, so there was a, a really effective Navy, Air Force, and kind of land army of people running booze in and across. Um, so uh, my question is, like, if there was really no legal ramifications for getting caught – why all the underground sneaky shit? Why not just like here he goes? Yep, you can't there stop were, there us. There were Here's real. The like, I think I think like people. There were like cases of people going to prison and oh, and there were like getting okay. busted and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there was. I think it's like you know, like cannabis has been or a lot of like recreation, like mild recreational drugs. Some people turn a blind eye. Some people don't. I think like it, it was very much. Um, I think it depends on well connected you were and what you, your socioeconomic position was and whether you really paid the price for getting drunk, I guess. I also think too, there's a big difference between you finding like, you know, a fifth of gin in somebody's hip flask and finding 800 crates, you know, barrels <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of whiskey in, in, a, in their boat. Like, <laughs> exactly. I want to look the other way, but you're not, you're making it real hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or a secret tunnel. Is this your secret tunnel? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's a school project. Now like, you said that was, it was 70. You said that there was 75% of all, liquor brought into the u.s came by way of the detroit river but that's not accounting for all illicit that's not including you know everything that we were uh, uh 
bootleg, you know, making ourselves no, no. here. Right? No, no, I think, I think like, I think 75% came from Canada, mainly through, mainly across the Detroit, Detroit River. Because obviously you had like most of Canada's like population and industrial area was just over the border there. For sure. And I think the rest came from the Caribbean. Um, but that doesn't include everything that was being brewed at home in bathtubs and everything else. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Gotcha. Bathtub gin. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think what was it? They were looking at this. So there were six between sixteen thousand and twenty five thousand speakeasies and clubs in the Windsor, Detroit area. Amazing. Um, wow. And uh, the popular awesome. drinks at the time depended on the club. Like sure. they would distinguish themselves by the drink they offered. So you would go to a club depending on what you could get there. Um, and, and the criminal gangs either owned or provided protection to to the to the clubs from uh, other gangs and the police. Uh, and and they used to say uh, "Joe sent me" was the 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 word the phrase used to gain entry to a speakeasy. What all speakeasies? Uh, no, just in that area was a trend oh. where they would say speakeasy in the, in the uh, Detroit area. Okay, Joe sent me was the the kind of although it's quite easy, you know. I think once once. Uh, you, you should probably change your secret password on a regular basis, like <laughs> yeah, like right, like yeah. a Gmail. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's probably a joke. I, I I bet I knew this at one time and I don't anymore. I, if I would guess, there's probably their award boss by that they're nicknamed Joe, who was notoriously corrupt. Or I'm just guessing, but it, or or something to that effect. I bet. Yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. It's got a, it's got like a, an origin story. Oh, it that. certainly and, does. Yeah. Uh, and another word for another word for another name for a speakeasy was a blind pig. Blind pig, or I've also heard blind tigers as well. Yep. That's Why? Cool. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> like like a lot of slang. If kind of someone yeah. comes up with it one day with no real explanation about where yeah. it came from. So <laughs> rock gut. Um, a uh, who's is a who's no who's guy's a prison. Uh, it's a couple of other names too, but yeah, blind pig, blind tigers. I've heard both of those. Okay. And everybody knows Al Capone. He's kind of like a, obviously like a legend now. But sure. Canada had his own version of Al Capone. What? Uh, You're Baron. Uh, and his name was King Canada. And his, which is, which is subtle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. His real name was Blaise Diazboy. Blaise Diazberg. Now, uh, Greg, I get slated all the time for my French pronunciation. I think that's uh, Blaise Diazberg. That might not even be French. Yeah, anyway. I was going to say, by the way, I mean, this guy's living, <laughs> ba- you know, he's living just across from Chicago. I don't think his French pronunciation was going to be on the money either, man. <laughs> That's okay. So I'm just going to call he's him King Canada He's Blaise over here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so he was he was a major figure and um, he was in direct contact with Al Capone and they used to do deals together I and bet. supply. Yeah. He used to supply him on a regular basis. And, King um, Canada. Did he name himself? Did other people like... Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it's like I'm a mob boss. I probably need a cool name. It's like a, it's like a, like a Batman villain. You got to come yeah. up with a good name. You do, you do. So it does sound like a, like a, like one of the B-list Batman villains. It's like the worst name you could ever give your King Canada. It's like some kind of weird failed superhero, man. It's because <laughs> they had a cape, um, like. I, know, should, I hope he did, but he used to he used to send a, a plane to Al Capone full of booze directly. Wow! Um, uh, oh no, hang on, I just I just caught up on my own notes. So King Canada was an alias to hide from legal authorities, but um, oh, so like, the law didn't was, know he was placed these. Yeah, yeah, they just he knew was him like, as King Canada. It was the 1920s Canadian Heisenberg. 
<laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So <laughs> I get this reference. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yay! <laughs> Yay! He, he would essentially he would stockpile a load of whiskey and beer, uh, which he called plants for some reason, um, underground to hide them, uh, and he would he would put them in like cisterns underneath <laughs> underneath the ground. Gotcha. Uh, so he would fly planes to remote areas and would like rent a field from a farmer and just bury a load of. Um, booze underground and then capones or the other mob bosses people would would know which field it was and oh, go he and then them. risk it yeah yeah exactly so so he um yeah so essentially they he had like he would be using the fields as like an airfield as well as a storage facility that was you know almost impossible for anyone to find wow that's how it worked out yeah it's a really cool system how did he retire uh Oh, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm always curious because, like, you know, you hear about yeah. the smart mobsters. You want to know what was their exit strategy because a lot of our, the famous ones didn't have one. They died. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a slightly more romantic way to go if you kind of he re- he retired comfortably. Right. Um, <laughs> he puts the exactly. polish on it for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> he, made, he made a huge amount of money with his kind of uh, flying in his stockpiled planes. Uh, and he actually came face to face with. Um, with uh, Al Capone at one point, and was determined that to tell, uh, was determined to make it clear to Capone that, that he wasn't afraid of him. Uh, and apparently, the quote is: "He said, listen, I am King Canada, and you know you can't fool around with me. I know every move in Chicago, Chicago, every move you make. <laughs> I am King Canada. Respect me." <laughs> I'm also now imagining Capone stifling a laughter at hearing Shakugo. <laughs> Did he actually say Shakugo? No, no, that was me. No, that was no, me. I was me being that. That's that's that's, that's a fact now. I, I wish he, he should. He, yeah, he pronounced it Shakugo and everything. Shakugo, damn it! I meant Chicago. Now I look like an asshole. <laughs> Nobody's gonna take King Canada seriously now. Crap! I brought I my rebrand cape and everything. Fuck! I'm gonna rebrand as Duke Canada. Um, and apparently he he insisted that um capone was a good guy uh and and that he was actually there was like a he had a lot of respect for him and it also was he also he said to him what do you what do you think i am don't you think i know something through the government of what's going on in chicago so he's basically just like it's called chicago Chicago. I don't know why. I don't know why he was. I don't know why he was kind of like felt like he had put. He had to put like an alpha personality like to know. threaten Capone. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were doing a lot of business together. Yeah, maybe Capone had been muscling in on. You know, one of the things that you said that like he said that Capone was a good guy. I'm sure Capone wasn't a good guy, but there's another side of that coin. <laughs> but I bet the truth is somewhere in between because, like, you know, you don't. Yeah, being like a sociopathic monster definitely helps. But at the same time, like people have to be able to do business with you. They have to like right. Capone's yeah. word has to be worth something. Like he has to show up with the money and the product when he says, you know what I mean? Like can't be like every deal with Capone ends in a widespread homicide, you know? You're right. <laughs> exactly. Nobody would do business with the guy. It would be it would be impossible. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh uh King Canada was actually using old bomber planes as well that could hold uh, twenty five cases of whiskey. So and they're really long bombers buying before yeah, like World, World War Two, yeah, exactly. World War One bomber planes where you could like walk across the wings. <laughs> yeah. I imagine. <laughs> so, why didn't um, he have a zeppelin? Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh my God, King Canada totally needed a cape and a zeppelin. Can you <laughs> picture? Yeah. Uh, on the top, going, you can't catch me, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the Zeppelin coming across the border. King Canada standing on top, his cape waving in the wind. You know, I'm not afraid of you, Capone, and all of you Chicoonians. <laughs> Just a kid goes, it's Chicago. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but he actually, uh, he lived until the 80s. I know he oh, didn't wow, okay. go, like... Uh, I think uh, Capone is a legend because he obviously died uh, in in uh, uh, kind of more exciting circumstances. But mm. uh, syphilis, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as was the tradition of the day. As so was, uh, as was. Yeah. <laughs> Holy hell! It's time for a special announcement. And uh, yeah, he lived till 1989 and uh, retired in his hometown of Bell River. Um, okay. And his and is celebrated by the town. There's like history walks. Um, and the old, pro- the old prohibition buildings and secret passages uh, might be turned into museums one day for anyone interested in the history, history of prohibition. We should all go there. After COVID. Uh, after COVID. Where uh, so King Canada was celebrated, like revered for selling yeah. booze illegally to Al Capone. This is Yeah, I, I don't think it doesn't like, hey, he's like our hero, King Canada, the booze smuggler. Well, I, I guess he didn't break, he didn't break any laws in Canada. He was just selling alcohol. That's true. That's so, probably right. Also, so I, I bet that he he you know, if he was breaking them laws, I bet he took real good care of the locals. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. probably very popular with chicken and every, every pot in that neighborhood, I bet. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I never even thought but, of that. That's a good point, right? But the uh, what one of the one of my favorite things that I found, and we talked about this earlier, so you suggested about the floating warehouses. Yeah. So there was a prominent run rum running vessel uh called the Malahat, which was a five masted schooner <laughs> um that was used to transport uh lumber um around uh uh, era, well, it was based in Victoria and BC in 1917, and was was um, more of a, a, a used for industrial kind of shipping of, mm-hmm. of supplies across the coast, um, and was then brought into service in World War One. So it was a pretty large ship, a pretty serious ship. I'm um, no joke. What was it called? It, the Malahat. The Malahat, M A L H A T. So it was a five masted schooner, and it, it had engines fitted. And in 1920, it became a rum running vessel. vessel. It was 246 feet and had an average speed of five knots and could carry 100,000 cases of al- Canadian alcohol in a single voyage. Jeez. And it became, became known as the Floating Warehouse or the Queen of Rum Row. And she would sail up and down the Pacific coast for th- literally. Uh, Consistently for thirteen years, delivering alcohol across the uh, across the American coast, and That's also amazing. sailing all the way to Hawaii as well. Wow! Um, uh, and it's, people say it's like a mystery that it stayed in service for so long. Um, but the, they, they said that the, that the the reason it didn't get caught was the captain's sister would receive radio transmissional radio transmissions from coastal vessels trying to pinpoint where it was or where the, the coast guard was so they had this kind of spy network that was essentially letting them know the movements of what? official government kind of vessels what uh wow and, and then and when prohibition ended in 1933 it went back to shipping wood which i imagine was less fun <laughs> right yes yeah. <laughs> yes uh, so the network uh, people who would like they knew that the ship was on its on its route and they wanted to help 
just, yeah. just because booze, because booze. And uh, so they'd like, oh, oh, that's so fucking cool. Oh my God. So, okay. so essentially you have this network of people who wanted to get hammered. They wanted a good weekend. Yeah. So they're like, well, of course I'm going to help out. I, I want, I want the booze to arrive. So, yeah. and, and, and it was, you know, there was like a, sh- there was like the big shipping um, kind of uh, vehicle of his day. So when, when, uh, when, she she actually kept was in service until 1944 until it eventually sank in the Powell River. But oh, um, wow. incredible though, again a bit like Waterworld. But yeah. <laughs> come back, it's to a real exactly. <laughs> well, everything is back to Waterworld. But it kind of is a is an incredible kind of like idea of like how serious this was. The fact that you had this giant kind of um, uh, ship that was like served in World War One and yeah. uh, that was just then just went back to his old job old boring job afterwards is, is 246 amazing. feet long 43 exactly. foot beam this is a big boat Jeez. it's crazy and also you need like a really experienced crew as well oh yeah a competent captain to, to sail from vancouver or victoria all the way over to hawaii is pretty impressive yeah you think about the overhead costs of running something like that you know no exactly no and how would they pick it up like would they just come in little skiffs in the cover of darkness to come and get their Maybe- Maybe they were going to those uh, offshore kind of party boats and just offloading there, or yeah. I don't know. I guess the easy work, which is amazing. Um, wow. But then the party ended uh, or started again, depending on how you look at it. In 1933, <laughs> uh, Congress passed the 21st Amendment and repealed the 18th Amendment. Huzzah! Uh, and the the rum runners uh, who were making uh, big money, their uh, their lucrative business died overnight. And essentially, they had to go back to uh, being farmers and fishermen and cutting down trees. And party was, party was over for them, yeah. And uh, that was the end of it. So the uh, the, the 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 brief boom of um, thirteen years of, of illicit alcohol running was over. Good fellas, no more. Now no. I got, now I got to wait like everybody else. <laughs> I'm curious, I'm, prohibition. So was it illegal to sit, just to sell it or to have it to to produce it? to um sell to transport can, produce i think is what it was but you could you could get alcohol for medicinal purposes you could get you could get, that's right yeah you could get a prescription for uh medicinal booze no i'm not getting it all <laughs> and there was a, a few of our sort of storied distilleries survived prohibition by producing medicinal alcohol throughout under a government contract um so, you know, it was like some distilleries. What, for? what were they prescribing for booze for? Nerve medicine. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 it's the same. I mean, it's the same bullshit that we had we had medicinal weed for. I mean, right. Yeah, yeah. anything. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking, like, if, if it's not illegal to, to own it, if it's legal yep. to produce it, to transport it, and to sell it, there, I'm sure there must have been guys who've tried to figure out ways around that. Like, okay, we've got yep. all this booze in this establishment. We just own it. We didn't make it. And we're not going to sell it to you, but we will charge you a $20 an hour fee for sitting here and just give you as much as you want or something like that like we're not selling you booze we're selling you the time on your table or whatever like um i don't know so (laughs) i think i think they would have seen through that no no they didn't (laughs) i mean well it's so you have to understand that the places that were doing this were never going to come under the purview of the law anyway because these were your very very uh sort of you know pillars of the community gentry kind of establishments. This is the, the very, <laughs> the upper class. So like one of the most right. famous cocktails of all time, um, it is now is the, um, the last word, which is a equal parts mix of maraschino liqueur, 
gin, uh, lime juice, and gin, maraschino, lime juice. Oh, and chartreuse. Um, and it did, was you just, did you just get that off the top of your head? Is that I, it's, it's a cocktail I make all the time. It's, okay, it's, cool. it's, I'm embarrassed <laughs> that it took me that long to make, remember the chartreuse. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was invented at the Detroit Athletic Club during Prohibition, where the Detroit Athletic Club was a private club that had a pre-Prohibition stockpile of alcohol for the enjoyment of its members. Um, and so that's, you know, but I mean, this is like sure. where like J. Pierpart Morgan would pull in for a drink and stuff like that. Like nobody's arresting these guys, right? Right. Um, and they're, they're, not, that, they're not selling it though. They weren't selling it. No, it was for the enjoyment of the members. But, you know, right. I mean, what does membership cost at a place like that? Who knows? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, fascinating. <laughs> and like J, and specifically J. Pierpont Morgan, I think, I think that's who it was. There's like some legend that like the day, like before Prohibition went down, he bought like some 10,000 cases of champagne so that oh, he would wow. not run out. Um, <laughs> and he didn't. You know? Attaboy. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think the Prohibition probably like pushed – more people to drink than had it not happened is my guess, right? You tell someone they're not allowed to do something. They want to do it more, right? That's, I mean, that's just There's two schools of thought on that. We, I mean, if we look at the numbers, people definitely drank less after Prohibition than they did before it. But there oh, really? was also, oh, yeah. Wow. But there was okay. also new forms of entertainment available too. See, there's and, there's totally different like schools of thought. One is the facts that you're mentioning, and the other is my uneducated opinion. Oh no! <laughs> Everything no. Jesse knows is based on uh, on things he's read in in public toilets written. Yeah, exactly. Not at all. I, I mean, I, and and then and by the end of, Pro- I think that prohibition was initially somewhat effective, but brutal and nightmarish. And then by its end, it was not really effective at all. Is kind of what happened. That like drinking was kind of, you know, we didn't. Ultimately, yes, the people who really were pushing for prohibition in the U.S., um, they were they hated alcohol. But the people who passed the laws didn't care about it at all. The reason that they finally got the uh, amendment through was because the the real hardcore temperance movements didn't care who they got into bed with to get it done. And they ended up um, getting hooked up with a uh, nativist movement. And so they got once they started associating alcohol consumption in bars with being either German or Italian. Um, or Irish, God forbid, uh, all of a sudden it became very popular to outlaw that shit. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, wow. it was very much an anti-immigration thing. Um, no way. Yep. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Do, do I find crazy though as well? I'm looking at this now. Um, and the although they outlawed booze, mm-hmm. there was so much other stuff that was legal. So cocaine. Oh, super legal. Cocaine is yeah. everywhere. Because <laughs> it, it was in... It was in um, it's in Coca-Cola. It was illegal in the original Coca-Cola, yeah. yeah. Um, crack. Crack was fine. You could have no alcohol, but crack. I didn't know crack, crack was legal. Oh, no, no. Sorry, I misread. I misread. Heroin. Skip over that. Heroin, sorry. Heroin, Heroin was fine. Was, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know the, the uh, company Bayer that makes aspirin, like Bayer's oh, yeah. aspirin? Yes. They invented heroin. They invented as, heroin, as, and they tested it on slaves in concentration camps during World War what? II. Yeah, it's a Nazi company. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is the podcast I want to start. It's called Guess Who Else Was a Fucking Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to that show. <laughs> also, <laughs> also uh, amphetamines were fine. Amphetamines, for sure, um, yeah. You could buy them over the counter. Little inhalers uh, of them. That's right. Yeah, inhalers. Fuck. And yeah. they were used in World War II to keep soldiers awake. Absolutely. Um, and also, um, they were they were called pep pills, and mm. they were given to students studying. Yeah. What? Uh, cocaine was used for headaches. It was a headache medicine. <laughs> That's great. I love what? that. Yeah. Oh you get some headache powder. 
<laughs> exaggerating. <laughs> it's fucking everywhere. My favorite thing about Coca-Cola, it was invented by this guy, Dr. Pemberton, who, um, and this is, it ties right back into prohibition. There was a popular, <laughs> there was a popular um, uh, kind of wine called Vin Mariana, which was uh, a red, it was a Bordeaux with a lot of cocaine jammed into it. <laughs> um, and Dr. Pemberton thought that it was a really good health tonic if it wasn't alcoholic, because alcohol, as we know, is really bad for you. It's the tool right, of the of devil. Course. So he <laughs> wanted to invent a non-alcoholic version of Vin Marianne uh, so that he could have his booze, his booze cocaine without the booze. Uh, that was the function of it. Yeah. I love that. And also, also marijuana became uh, an alternative as well, according to this. Um, I don't doubt they, that. Uh, so it was an attractive alternative and led to an increase of the use of the drug. Tea pads, where a person could purchase marijuana for 25 cents or less, began appearing in cities across the United States. There were plenty of alternatives. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So all of these incredibly dangerous, illicit drugs were legal, and booze probably like it was was outlawed due to anti-immigration, essentially. Is this- yeah. I mean, there is there was real... Like the saloon of the 1800s was a, a nightmare place. It, it really was like a. Like I mean, how they show it in the movies is kind of exactly how it. it no, I would down. say honestly, it was it's under it undersells it. Um, wow, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when you start talking about like in this in New York City, like where like McGurk's Suicide Hall, which was a very huge and famous saloon, McGurk's Suicide Hall, where the proprietor's <laughs> personal guarantee was. Yeah. Some night this week, someone's going to die in here and you better be here to see it. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the suicide hall is, is, I mean, that sounds like a warm, cuddly name. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. It got that name. It got the name because um, a, a disgruntled sex worker came in and drank uh, sulfuric acid in the middle of the room one night uh, to kill herself. Oh and my so God. It became known. It became McGurk's suicide hall and it became a destination for people to kill themselves. Uh, and McGurk was happy to capitalize on that and advertise it as a great place to do so. Provide entertainment. Come on down, kill yourself. We'll all have a good time. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and it was See, huge. It was huge. It wasn't like a little room. I mean, like like fifteen hundred people could drink in this like establishment at a time. It was absolutely massive, huge, like Grecian um, style, like columns holding up this like you know Victorian. Uh, yeah, it's it very strange uh, thing. But one of the things I love about what happened with prohibition is that all of these saloons were men only. The only people who were allowed to go in were men and, and sex workers. Um, Weird. And uh, yeah. And, and often only white men, right. They were also always segregated. And so this moral majority who was afraid of the immigration and uh, loose morals and all that stuff, they're the people who push through prohibition and what happens? Well, now instead of saloons, you have speakeasies and they're completely outside the purview of the law. And so speakeasies are by their very nature, all races and all genders welcome. They don't give a shit about the law. They want to sell alcohol. And so what actually ended up happening during prohibition is that there's this enormous um, intermingling of sexes and races in a way that there never had been in America before. Um, And then if you look at the tail end of prohibition throughout the thirties, yes, of course we have the great depression and that might be a factor, but uh, one of the factors from the thirties until until probably like basically the end of world war two, there was very powerful leftist 
politic political movements here in the US, right? And I think a big part of that had to do with the fact that like all these people were meeting each other in saloons for the first time. Um, I always forget uh, who he married, but um, uh, uh, who's that composer? I'm, okay, so I have a problem with names. I'm going to remember his name. Uh, Cole Porter. Cole Porter uh, married an heiress, as uh, the true story. Um, when he was a penniless musician who had no prospects at all, she just happened to fall in love with him uh, because she met him in a saloon, you know, in a speakeasy, and and like is a true story, and it never would have happened otherwise. Um, yeah, they never would have crossed paths. Otherwise. They never would have crossed paths. He would have died a destitute, broke piano player in McGurk <laughs> Suicide Hall. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I love the idea that everyone got hammered together and it started a new social movement in a country because they'd they'd all been drunk, they'd all like fallen out the speakeasy. That's right. On looking for something to eat together it's just uh it's it's great that's the best way to break down barriers i think it get was hammered. exactly yeah and it's, as, all because, as, it's all because of king canada all because of king canada as fdr said when he got elected what america needs now is a drink well, uh, exactly <laughs> <laughs> so as so, joe biden said america needs a nap i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last four years yeah <laughs> <laughs> I I, I'll take it. I'll take a nap. <laughs> I'll take a nap. I think the world needs a nap. I think after four <laughs> years of living under extreme stress, when it releases you, it's like it's you're like oh shit! I didn't even realize I had a broken back. I had no idea. You right? Yeah. It. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> that lasted about four hours. So back to feeling. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, I kind of I, I think as well like the. Um, the the crazy stuff as well with all the different other substances like they weren't even on the horizon like the no. fact that alcohol was the main thing everyone was concerned about and then like there was this well creeping giant of all these other substances that people were high on the, i just got this image of like a a prohibition kind of uh person out there like knocking doors and getting people to sign the petition to ban on alcohol meanwhile they're yeah. like just taking pet pills and snorting cocaine to Absolutely. just make sure they can do five more doors before they go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I'm aware of the irony. Right. No, it's absolutely true. It's a hundred percent. You know, and then we talk about that too. Is like you were saying, you mentioned that marijuana was legal at the time. And the only reason it became illegal is because it was popular amongst black jazz musicians and Spanish and Mexican immigrants. And wow. Once it got tied to that stuff, then they're like, we got to outlaw this. But if you like listen to jazz from the thirties, like all normal people do, um, but a lot of it, a lot of it is about jazz, is about weed. There's just like a ton of music written about yeah. smoking reefer back in the 30s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know. I love bangers. I was, uh, yeah. I'll send you a podcast. I'll, I'll send you a couple of playlists on Spotify when we get please. off. Please. Yes, yes, please. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite now, is, now we've now we've got a reason to listen to 1930s jazz. Beyond the <laughs> fact that trad jazz is great, uh, but you'll hear the expression if you use a viper or referring to vipers. A viper is a slang comes from uh, the hissing sound of sucking on a joint. So what? if somebody called themselves a viper or to say that a place is a den of vipers, it was filled with weed smokers. That's um, amazing. Yeah, Greg, you you are a substances historian. That's what I I'm try to be <laughs> <laughs> a substances historian. I like, that. I like that. that's a gen- that's a that's a a compliment undeserved. Honestly, all I do is read other people's research. I can't call myself a historian. 
<laughs> that should be that should be the name of your podcast, the Substances Historian. <laughs> no, because then I would, honestly, I'm such a square, and and then it would be like it would have to be I'd have to be doing a lot of drugs on this podcast, and <laughs> I can't. I'm I, I'm just this you know, week. I'm going to try. Or you could go just go to Portugal. Everything's legal there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't you don't get it. I'm a square. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely terrified of a lot of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially because like you don't know where he's come from or what he's been mixed with. Um, it's, People are always very... like, oh, but don't you want to have altered experiences and expand your mind? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch reruns of The Office on Netflix. Thank you very much. Power to you, but man, no. <laughs> Greg, where can people find your your channel? Uh, it's called How to Drink, and if uh, uh, it has a URL, but if you just if you Google it, it'll be the first hit. How to drink? Um, it'll come up, and so uh, yeah. And you're on Twitch as well, yes? I guess I am on Twitch. I should talk about that. I'm on Twitch. I'm probably going to have to hop over to Twitch right after I get off of this. Actually, uh, I'm at Twitch.tv/GregFromHTD. Uh, you know, unifying the brand there. I, Joe, I, I'm, I'm going to sound really, I'm going to sound square. I, I've never been on Twitch, so I don't quite know what it is. But. Oh, it's it's a very, <laughs> okay, so it popped up about five years ago. It yep. is the strangest phenomenon in the oh, world. Where it's UHF. It's, it's like UHF. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, it's people, people watch other people play video games. But more than that, they will pay you to watch you play video games. Yes, they will. It's a still, and it's like uh, when it first came out, I'm like, oh, this is a new fad. This isn't going to last at all. And it's just kept growing. I'm like, how is this a thing? It's, it's, I used to Twitch for fun, not for, not professionally, just for, just for shits and giggles. And I'm like, how is this a thing? How are people wanting to watch me play video games all the time? It's very strange. Well, and it's not all. (laughs) <laughs> I was say, when I said it was UHF too, was, I mean, I'd, yeah, 80 or 90% of it is video games, but it's not all video games. Like I, I, when I'm on Twitch, a lot of times I'm just standing in my bar conversing with guests and making drinks and taking suggestions. That sounds more appealing to me though. That's kind of quite social. There is a lot of um, more social stuff on there and there's a lot of uh, it's, I love it because I, I get to just like talk to the fans like in real time. Right. Um, God, oh, I hate that that phrase just escaped my lips. The fans. I get to talk to the fans. Oh my God, what a pompous well, ass. Cool, cool <laughs> awesome. You've got over a million subscribers. I think you have some fans. I, I, would, I, think, I, it's okay. I think it's okay for you to own that. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just I don't like to objectify them in that way. Like it no, just, no, it's yeah. like my my public, my public awards. Uh, it's just I don't my, know. And Reese, my other friend Reese, um, he once told me that his his father was on Twitch and his father was in his late seventies, I think. It's amazing. I'm like, what? He's on Twitch. And I went and checked him out and, and yeah, he wouldn't play video games. He would literally just, uh, he was, he was in a wheelchair and he had this, he was a theater actor, I I believe. And so he would just drink wine, get drunk (laughs) and recite poetry. Oh my God. I would want to, I want to watch this. This sounds really good. Unfortunately passed away, but he, he had thousands of, of followers who wow. like would send so much money to donate to him that he never asked for. They bought him a new mattress. They bought him. Oh my new- God. Oh yeah. Like they just, they fell in love with him and just, he just go on every night and just get drunk and eat food and pet his dog and just chat with everybody in the most eloquent sort of, he had this very amazing radio voice. Like it's, yeah, it was, it was an incredible story. I'm like, what? His father's That's just sitting and cool. chats and gets drunk and people loved it. So yeah. 
Twitch is an amazing. Yeah, it's like you have to use all kinds of different shit. Anything can happen on there. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's live. I, I think probably one of my most successful streams I ever did. I got a uh, a whetstone and I sharpened my kitchen knives for three hours. <laughs> I just stood there scraping like, the knife. Not saying anything, just staring on no, no. the <laughs> no, I mean, there was a lot of back and forth, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it's, a, it's a weird, unpredictable, crazy thing. I don't know. All right. Thanks so much for putting us in your ear holes just the way you like it. This has been another exciting episode of Canadian <laughs> Politics is Boring. Uh, we've had Greg from How to Drink on here. Uh, make sure to check out his channel, How to Drink, on YouTube, and also listen to his brand new podcasts coming out, The Substance Historian, as well as Guess Who the Fuck is a Nazi. Those <laughs> <laughs> This was a blast, actually. This was a huge amount of fun. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, I, you know, when COVID's over, maybe we can do this in person at some time. It'd be really cool. I'd love to. Definitely. Oh my god, yeah. And, please. And, and you, you, you know more about prohibition than I did, and I did ten minutes research. <laughs> <and> <laughs> ten whole minutes. I didn't know that much more than he normally does. So. <laughs> Feel special. I was trying to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. <laughs>